Yo, Chad, what if I told you there's a platform that could completely revolutionize your hiring strategy in a matter of hours? Yeah, I'd call bullshit. Well, it's not bullshit with AI for jobs powered by our friends at This Way Global. Okay, I'm listening. Uh, While everyone else is fishing in the same old talent pools, AI for Jobs can source over 160 million diverse candidate profiles. This Way Global has established unique partnerships with over 8,500 trusted diversity partners. So wait a minute. All of the hard on-the-ground work is already done. That's right, Cowboy. You can discover 300 qualified candidates per job rack instantly. Wow. It's like having a candidate sourcing magic wand. (laughs) Dude, if you had a magic wand, you would have Mexican pizzas all day. Mm. Uh, Stop distracting me, Sowash. AI for Jobs Advanced Matching Algorithm analyzes past applicants using trillions of historical matching events and over 1,600 data points. Now that is what AI should be doing, saving recruiters time on sourcing while they provide a white glove candidate experience. Let's wrap this shit up. I'm hungry. Listen up, kids. Revolutionize your hiring process today by jumping over to thiswayglobal.com and checking out AI for Jobs, where you can learn more about how to leverage AI for your recruiting instead of just writing poems and grocery lists. That is thiswayglobal.com. We out. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Hey, it's Chad. Whenever you have a chance to interview someone whose life has been turned into a movie, well, you make time for that interview. And we did with Steve Pemberton, currently CHRO at Work Human. Straight from Unleash America's Expo floor, we got Steve on the mic. And to be truthful, most people have to get comfortable on the mic. Not Steve. He's funny, smart, genuine and one of the best interviews we have recorded to date. Now, we originally recorded this interview exclusively for the Unleash Cast podcast, but it was too damn good not to share here. You can find more great interviews from the floor of Unleash America over at Unleash Cast podcast. Let's join the conversation in progress. So, uh, 30 seconds or less, I walk across my college graduation stage uh, nobody's there. Yeah. No family, nobody. Uh, I'm like, why the hell is this? Where's my mother or father? I go looking for them, uh-huh. and I find them. Uh, find siblings. Find um, this case file that's uh, almost 300 pages long. And in that case file was a prediction from a social worker who said that I was not going to have a chance in the world. So I titled that the book that I wrote for my children. That book became a bestseller, became a movie. Uh, became a curriculum that's taught in American schools. Um, none of that I was trying to do. Yep. And what's the movie called again? For a Chance in the World chance as well. A Chance in the World. A yeah. Chance in the World. Yeah. So you've got a great story, right? Mm. Why, get in, why get into HR? Because that's what HR is about. Yeah? It's well, about, tell me about that. It's about then. people's stories. Yeah? I mean, I've always been fascinated. Well, I've 
because of my own journey. Like uh-huh. I've, I've always been fascinated by systems and people. Uh-huh. And in part because both systems and people failed me. Yes. So how yes. do systems and people that drive them, how do those two worlds intersect? And HR is probably the single best place to do that because every day you wake up trying to figure out whether you're dealing with payroll or they're dealing with advancing people. You're always yeah. wrestling with how systems enable people and how those people enable systems. So how hard is it to actually get the systems to work right? I mean, we're talking about one company right now, right? Yeah. How, how hard is it to get it just within your own organization oh. to get those to run right? We're talking about equity, talking about transparency. We're talking about systems that have been broken forever. Yeah. Now, we've got technology that should make this easier, but for some reason, mm. for decades, it has not happened. So for yeah. you, a leader mm. or a, just one company, and we'll talk yeah. about clients or anything just All yet, right. how, do you, how do you harness this? How do you actually fix this? Well... Change has been going on since the beginning of time, right? If it yeah. hadn't, you know, we'd be running around with, with clubs chasing dinosaurs. Change has always happened. That's what Joel does on the weekends, by the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to leave that alone. Leave Joel alone. <laughs> but what's different for us, the pace of change, uh-huh. which is why I think it's so hard. Because the minute that you think you have that system teed up, then there could be a new federal regulation that comes down. Right. Something could happen around pay equity. And so now you've got to revamp your systems all over again we have a tendency to think that i've done that and i can move on and then something else emerges now you've got to go back and it really frustrates people right right. and we're going to have to accept the fact that change is happening so quickly it's just going to be a norm and you're going to have to be constantly and relentlessly updating and then i think the other which is the subject of the panel is how are those same systems enabling these softer or the, these perceptively softer things like culture, yes, like skills. Yeah. And I think technology is might be our last best shot because as human beings, we keep getting this wrong. I mean, look at the broader society, right? Look, look at what's happened yeah. uh, last 48 hours, uh, last two weeks. Yeah. Uh, where, where do you turn? Where are the places you turn and what are the tools you turn to to try and find some semblance of humanity? Yeah. Yeah. I want to touch on uh, your employer, WorkHuman. Yes. And your your background, you've worked in a lot of big organizations. Yes. Like I heard Walgreens yeah. and some others. So what was it about WorkHuman, an HR company, yeah. that appealed to you? And, and that, that yeah. seems like an interesting dynamic to be an HR head in an HR-related company. Yeah. Talk about that. that. Joel, that to me is the cool part because, one, the threshold is higher. When you run HR for a company that sells into HR, you had better be damn good. Uh-huh. Because you have to have the credibility to walk into any prospect or any customer and say, so here is how I leverage in our case. Here's how I leverage our recognition platform. And I like that. I like the challenge of it. it was what I tell my team all the time. We have to be what we sell. And there's no greater credibility you have than to say, here is how we're leveraging and utilizing it. I also think my own career path, I was part of an organization in Walgreens, like 90% brand recognition, 250,000 people when it became. Yeah, it's uh, kind of a big deal. Big deal, but that was one of the problems. It's just too damn big. Really? And you're dealing with a very complex industry that's healthcare. Yeah. So I wanted to do something that was faster moving and that was advancing a broader societal mission. Now I'd argue that healthcare is doing that too, because without health, everything else is just a conversation. But to know you wake up every day, seeing how a recognition moment changes somebody's life, really spoke to me at a point in my career where I could kind of look around the landscape and say, all right, I'm gonna be fine, when I have a job, like what do I wanna do? And uh, and to choose a, a company that was 
rapidly rising was I needed to feel alive again. It felt like that, like you need to be like alive again. Now, do you yeah. feel since you're working for a tech company that you can actually scale what your belief is, what, what you know to do through that organization? Well, in, in my world, you had better because if not, especially because of the pandemic, people yeah. are going to walk out on you. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I think that's a dynamic that's changed. It's not about work life anymore. It's about life at work. Yeah. Because, you know, we're sitting on screens and, you know, you've got babies on laps and cats walking across the desk. I yeah. mean, you, you saw windows, quite literally windows into people's lives. Yeah. And if you're not using technology to scale those human interactions, then those people are going to say, hey, you know, I like Joe. Joe's a great dude. And I like the company. But I want to go someplace where I'm awoken again and I'm doing something mm. to broaden the world. That can't happen if you're just having these kind of one-off conversations, which are nice and they're cool. But you want to know that you're scaling that. And the last thing I'd say, and certainly this is true in the pandemic, I mean, people are hurting. I mean, you, you see this, what happened in Buffalo, what happened in Uvalde. Yeah. You know, our employees aren't walking into work human and they're turning that off. They're not turning that off. They want a place to talk about it. Yeah. Even if they don't know what to say. So we have a parents at work human Slack channel and that just lit up yesterday. People didn't know where to go. They didn't know who to talk about. They were using this technology platform just to have a conversation because we're a company made up predominantly of people who are parents of young children. So they're dropping their child off at the, at the bus mm-hmm. and, and holding on to their hand longer. Yeah. One, uh, my VP of HR said, drop my uh, daughter off at school, police presence there. Police yeah. presence wasn't there yesterday. Yeah. How are you having those conversations? Yeah. What, what are you talking Active about? Active shooter drills are happening and your kids are talking about it coming home. Yeah. 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 Very different. Very different. So we talk every week about the remote work question. Yeah. And yeah. some companies are get your ass back to the office. Some yep. are never come back again. Others are, are hybrid. What was the internal discussion like at WorkHuman in regards to what you were going to do after the pandemic? I mean, generally speaking, Joe, nobody knows. I mean, they, they can say they know. The reality yeah. is that you don't know until you put it into practice. That's the reality of where uh-huh. you are. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I see all the, you know, the influencers and talking heads say, do X, Y, or Z. I'm like, yeah, okay. That's bovine scatology. You know what that is? <laughs> Bullshit. That's right. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. Yeah. So for us, here's what we did. We went through these cycles. Right? I think every company's doing. And you're, you're reading articles. And, uh-huh. and you know what we did that really changed the dynamic? We went to our people. And we said, oh, rather than us throwing policies and practices down around remote working, tell me what it is you're looking for. And here's what came back to us. We were looking for fun. We're looking for fitness, we're looking for food, and we're looking for some sense of family. So that's how I talk about it internally yeah. to force. But that's us, right? And that's what we're that's what we're looking for. And then the other, I think, is it's a critical factor, is how people are being productive and efficient in their way and by function. So you're in sales, I'm in marketing, you're in IT. Our industries are working very differently. Good luck going to your, your CIO, your CTO, and saying your people have to be in the office five days a week. Oh, yeah. She's going to say, well, I'm going to lose 25, 30% of my workforce if you force that. On the other hand, marketing, you might say, 
I've got to have them at least two to three days. Somebody else in fulfillment might say, well, I can't fulfill things if they're not physically in the space. Yeah. And I think that's the shift that has to happen. Start looking at this one by asking your people what they're looking for and then put a functional lens over. And lastly, you have to drive a message. Not everybody's going to be working exactly the same way. And you're going to have to accept that. Yeah. yeah. Well, we never have. I mean, seriously, I mean, we, re- we really never have. Fair I think- point. We're now starting to see how much different we all are. The, the question is, and, and we've heard some companies and some vendors talking about being able to provide amazing amounts of flexibility to their workers. Mm-hmm. So from the standpoint of, if I can work from home five days a week, I'll give up X, Y, or Z. Yes. Some, a little bit of pay, a little bit of this, yep. a little bit of that, yep. some time off, whatever it is, yep. right? Um, do you think that that is something that a company can actually manage and then if if they can how do you take a look at the the equity conversation there because mm. because the individual the employee is picking this right yes and it's a much harder to take yeah. a look at what equity actually means mm. yeah and how do you not wind up with two different kinds of companies as a result yeah right? one yeah. that's remote and one that's uh well i i think the the fulcrum is really the, the, the people leaders in that company specifically, they're the ones who are going to have to develop new management muscle uh-huh. to deal with that, those changing realities. Otherwise, if you, you could have silos and legal wants to run it one way and finance wants to run it another, and uh-huh. that's how you wind up with these inequities. Uh, and and, and I, so I think training people leaders, and I get on bi-weekly calls with our people leaders, it's like every other week every Wednesday morning I'm on with them yeah. and we're walking through all these things why because it's still unfolding we're still processing we're still communicating but I'm really clear in telling them you are going to have to manage your workforce differently than you have in the past and we'll bring outside agencies we'll step through training whatever's required uh-huh. but for me and our executive team has this expectation you're just going to get it without that. I think you wind up with disparate processes, and that's where the inequities come from. And so people just start exiting on you. Okay, listener, how can you help your employees become more productive? I have answers. How about automating manual and repetitive tasks, giving meaning to data, then allowing that data to actually drive decisions? And how about matching people to your jobs quicker? Well, wait, the Chad and Cheese has a new LLM? No, Cheeseman. I'm talking about text kernel. Ah, okay. That makes more sense. What I'm hearing is the groundbreaking concept of, wait for it, Yeah. simplicity. <laughs> seriously, though, seriously. Text kernel cuts through the complexities like a tortilla chip through some hot nacho cheese. Oh, my God. Really? Nacho references already. Anyways. TextKernel brings efficiency and productivity to your operations. TextKernel seamlessly unifies your tools and data to drive efficiencies and success. TextKernel is creating new opportunities for your recruitment journey, kind of like adding guac to my barbacoa burrito. Oh my God. How about extracting meaningful insights from data. I mean, that that's something. Swiftly matching yeah. people with jobs, automating repetitive tasks. Who knew such advanced concepts were even possible in the land of human resources? Uh, we did, Chad. We did. Dude, wrap it up. I'm a little hungry. Imagine that. Uh, okay, listener. 
Get ready to use today's tech to drive efficiencies and productivity. Visit TextKernel.com. That's T-E-X-T-K-E-R-N-E-L.com. Mmm, nachos. <laughs> so speaking of inequities, I don't know if you saw our, our keynote with um, the commissioner of the EEOC yesterday, but we talked extensively about AI and hiring and how mm. there are uh, biased decisions being made through yeah. AI. Um, curious, are you are you sort of a sounding board for the products being made at WorkHuman? And what kind of traps do you see companies falling into with sort of leaning on AI and, mm. and sort of the trap doors to look for when bias does come into play, whether yeah. it's intentional or not? That's a good one. Yeah, uh, so because you still have, no matter what you do, you're still going to have human beings who are be- behind the AI in some way, shape, or form, determining algorithms, right? Yeah. Architecting language. Big training data. All, all of that, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I think focusing on technology to preempt bias specifically is, is where I, I think the next evolution should go. Because right now, all of the tools that like chief diversity officers have, CHROs have, guys, the damage has already been done. It's already been done. If you're doing an adverse impact analysis, for example, after you've had a, a reduction in workforce, or you, you're dealing with a class action lawsuit from EOC, yeah. the damage has already been done. You already have a reputation out there. So I think leveraging AI specifically as you're going through performance reviews, as you're in our world, a recognition moment. Hey, Joel, did you really mean to use this language in recognizing a woman for performance, you may not even be aware of it. My wife and daughter often remind me I'm not the feminist I think I am, right? I didn't know, but if if that mirror gets held up to me while it's happening, not after the fact, not after she's already left, not after she's already been offended, I think you can create a very different kind of of language. Now, the, the challenge, I think, is shifting a lot of the DE&I practitioners, shifting their mindset. We're not dealing in broader society today. You're not dealing with unconscious bias. A lot of the shit I see has conscious bias. Yeah, we're beyond unconscious. Yeah, this is not a matter of you don't know better, Me yeah. Too movement. Yeah. You know exactly what the hell you were doing. Yeah. So you're getting enabled. You still, are, no matter what AI is built, you're still going to need people to make moral, ethical decisions when those behaviors emerge. On the hiring front, I do think, though, it's where you've seen advancements specifically so that you, you're dealing with issues of names and how names are used in the search process. Are we being equitable and fair, and do we have corrective practices? Coming from a former chief diversity officer, <laughs> so I feel... So let's talk about yeah. chief diversity officers. So many are out there, and they're put on an island. They don't, oh, have, yeah. they don't have funding. They don't have staff. They don't have any means of actually making real impact. Really, they're just a figurehead that's there. Yeah. And we've seen that for years. Mm-hmm. Have you seen changes? And where are, if, we, if you have, where mm-hmm. did those changes start? Did they start in the C-suite? Did it start grassroots? Or do you think it just hasn't changed? I don't, I don't think you've seen the seismic change that's required to reflect the times. Uh-huh. I'll answer it that way. Uh-huh. Remember, the origins of the role of the CDO came uh, from the early to mid-90s when companies found themselves in courtrooms getting sued for millions and millions of dollars. Uh And so, you know, those boards went back and they said, 
uh, well, we got to stay out of courtroom. We got to stay out of the news. So we're going to hire somebody. Yeah. And that person's sole job and responsibility is to make sure we don't wind up in the courtroom again. So think what that anchor is. More that anchor. Compliance yeah, exactly that what it was. Yeah. In uh, quasi PR, which is how you wind up with a single individual, no budget, uh, and a lot of external facing optics kind of things. Right. Well, when was the last time in any part of any organization that you said anything was of significance and value? You put one person on it with no budget. Nowhere. So you're sending a message already about its value and importance. Now, what's changed, though, is demography. And that's always the disconnect for me. Mm-hmm. So how knowing that your customer bases are changing, who you're serving is changing, like how can you continue to go down this path of the CDO in a role by themselves? Kind of like an ice cream cone, no ice cream in it, basically. Yeah, yeah. So for a lot of companies, though, and especially George Floyd, which is where I think you saw this real paradigm shift. Yes. So since uh, May of 2020, which is when uh, George Floyd was murdered, companies have dedicated $66 billion to eliminating disparities in transportation, in housing. So that was a real paradigm shift. The business roundtable made up of 181 CEOs said, you know, we have a broader societal responsibility because prior to that, they came from that Milton Friedman school of thought, which was, and we don't have any responsibility other than generating a profit. Drucker comes along a little bit later and says, no, you have a broader responsibility here. So when the business roundtable says, actually, you're right, it's why you see Apple investing in homelessness. It's why when we were at Work Human in Atlanta last year, we had our recognition moments and all the recognition moments that came through went to three charities in the Atlanta area. In other words, we're saying as businesses, we're not going to leave this to you government because by and large, our politics are not in a place where they seemingly can solve the challenges of our time. Yeah. So we have this quiet covenant, I think, that's happening amongst businesses saying, we'll take it on. We're going to get together because we have a fiduciary responsibility to shareholders, to society. We have performance metrics. We have urgency because we're held to the public markets. And you're going to see more and more companies who are going to form partnerships like Bank of America does with Morehouse College and Spelman College in Atlanta. Uh, HBCU saying we're going to start centers for entrepreneurship. We're yeah. going to be focused on women in STEM disciplines. So that's why I have hope, despite the fact I think some things have not changed. It's looking more and more like we're headed into a recession. And in typical recessions, the rule book kind of gets thrown out. We batten down the hatches and we survive mm. the storm. What's your take on these DEI issues in regards to the economy in a downturn? What happens when that happens? And then when we come out of it, Mm-hmm. What's your view on what DEI looks like? Is it stronger after the, the storm, or do we go back to more status quo? Well, typically, uh, the recession around those matters is always meant to retraction. You know, when you perceive DEI as a nice thing to do in cost-cutting times, it's the first thing to go because it's an optic in some cases, candidly, uh-huh. or a kind of a nice-to-have. Yeah. Uh, but again, who's your customer base? Who are you serving? Who's your employee base? I can't, I'm sure it's happened to both of you as well. I can't tell you a number of times, probably most recently, a couple weeks ago, from New England, live in Chicago, big Dunkin' Donuts. That's my, that's my deal. Donkeys. Yes. <laughs> Man, I, I go to a Dunkin' Donuts like 5 o'clock to grab a cup of coffee. Sign, we don't have staff here. Yeah. We don't have staff here. Yeah. Right, so this idea somehow that we can just kind of get through a recession and then we'll be able to i don't i don't think that's 
we had better plan for it accordingly. I will say, though, that the pandemic would have led you to believe that, too, right? Because, yeah. okay, you, we're all in this moment, this first six weeks, are we going to be around? Are we going to be relevant? Yeah. I mean, imagine the hotel industry, airlines industry, we know, we know what they went through. I do think it requires from the early onset, because to your point, you can, kind of, you, can see, you can see the tide starting to go out vis-a-vis a recession. Mm-hmm. So you have to make a beeline literally to your employee population, to your customer base, and you have to have a very active plan. I'm not referring to kind of corporate social responsibility, what's your retention plan, who's going to be staffing any parts of your organization. And it's going to require that new, that new leadership muscle. It's just not true about managing people through a pandemic is also managing through recessions and it just seems like every every damn week man is just something else coming yes something else coming you know the other thing i would point out is that the pandemic really magnified this hr you know it's always a battle to prove your relevance to have a seat at the table yeah yeah like why are you relevant yeah and i would say the pandemic now i kind of walk around with my chest pumped up puffed up around work human and generally Uh you know why we don't have anything to prove anymore because the responsibility for getting an organization through the pandemic fell on hr just like the last recession that was the test of the cfo we were the ones who had to get people home if they were at a conference and you got a shelter in place order we were the ones who said let's get you the equipment so you can keep doing your job we were the ones who created programming when mental health began to raise its head we were the ones designing vaccine uh, and safety protocols. We yeah. came back to the office. We're the ones designing hybrid ways of the working. Essential workers that are out yes. there, man. And yes. they were finally titled essential workers. And those people yeah. lifted up, their chest came out because yes. they knew that nothing happened without them. We saw a supply chain yes. go down. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We got to have a little bit more swag in HR. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. We do. We yeah. do. Okay. So, last question, Steve. We're back. We're live. Yeah. We're here. How does it? How does it feel, man? Great. Yeah. I mean, I love technology. I, I'm a first adopter and just about damn near anything. <laughs> uh, and the three of us could be on a screen, uh, but you know, I, I can, you know, we can have a conversation since we're all bearded here. You know, <laughs> I mean, just stuff that we can talk about, laugh about, yeah. connect, even though we're just meeting for the first time. Technology can't replace that. Right. So that 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 feels great. And I also think the, the, the pandemic robbed us of community. Yeah. It really did. I mean, you just isolated, you're alone. And it's just something about laughing, smiling, having a drink, catching up with or your two, colleagues. Or three drinks. <laughs> or, or, or depending on what's unfolding, four yeah. or five. In Vegas, yeah. We need that. We, we need do. that. I'll let, I'll let you out on this. Um, you're obviously a thoughtful guy. What are, what's on your reading list this summer? Uh, what are you watching? Uh, what you know? What what's filling your brain this yeah. summer? Yeah. So I'm going to answer that probably differently. Um, so I, I I am a voracious, relentless reader. Uh, I am an author. I am actually uh, writing my next book. So my time is usually spent reading. I'm writing my next one. Nice. Um, trying to find the time to do that. Get in the headspace to do it. Yep. Uh, love the written word. Um, this one has always been a bit of a project, you know, one of that wish list things. And yeah. I've just said, you know, yeah. I'm going to really sit down and do this this time around. Uh-huh. Get um, a cabin in the woods and knock it yeah, out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, but you got to be in a space to write. You know, you got to be in a space, I think, to read as well and absorb kind of what your last one I wrote. Actually, uh, the last one I read was The Song of Achilles. It's a great, great book. Revisits the story of Achilles, uh-huh. but in a very, very different way. 
uh, which I'd recommend everybody take a gander kind of like at. Revisionist, almost Malcolm Gladwell yes, style. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. Revisiting and basically imagining Achilles still being the hero that he was, uh-huh. but understanding his journey in a very, very different way. Uh-huh. Uh, and there's a, a real a powerful narrative in there about DE&I. That's amazing, man. Yeah, pretty Steve cool. Pemberton, everybody. Steve, thank you so much thank for you. taking time, man. Yeah. Uh, if people want to connect with you or find out more about what you're doing, where, where would you actually send them? Yeah, I go to uh, workhuman.com. Uh, you can find me on, on LinkedIn. Uh, I like catching up with folks and Excellent. hearing what they're up to. Uh, uh, you, you learn a lot from uh, engaging and interacting with people. Hear what's on their on their minds too. So easy to find on any of the social media platforms. Amen. Good hanging out with you guys too, man. Absolutely, you too, yeah. man. Thank great you, meeting. Steve. This was great. Yeah. Chad, another one is in the can. We, we out. Damn, that was good. Remember, you can find more great interviews over at Unleash Cast Podcast. We out. Thank you for listening to what's it called? A podcast. The Chad. The Cheese. Brilliant! They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Just a lot of shout-outs of people you don't even know. And yet, you're listening. It's incredible. And not one word about cheese. Not one. Cheddar. Blue. Nacho. Pepper Jack. Swiss. There's so many cheeses. And not one word. So weird. Anywho... Be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way, you won't miss an episode. And while you're at it, visit www.chadcheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out! How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.